Hello and welcome to Money Moves. I'm Sam. I'm the uh, editor for Flywheel Pod and I'm also going to be the host of this show going forward. I hope you listened to last week's episode, uh, the first episode of Money Moves, where we talked about the core attribute of what money has for it to actually function like money. And that's that it needs to be redeemable at par on demand. Now, that I think was a great intro to understanding more about money and what its actual function is, what it does, who actually uses it, and so on. And so in this episode, we're going to break down everything there is to know about money. But before we get there, I want to tell you to go out and sign up for our amazing Substack. We've got a ton of great content that's coming out for Flywheel Pod. And if you sign up to the Substack, we're going to email it directly to you. It's going to come straight to your email. You're going to be the first to get all of our podcasts. You're going to be get first to get all of the new content that we're creating, both for institutional investors, uh, for average retail investors, for pretty much anybody out there that wants to know more about DeFi, about Frax, about the Flywheel, and a bunch of other cool stuff. So come sign up, and let's get back into the episode. The thing to understand about money, right, once you get past the the deep and essential need for it to have this redeemability at par on demand, is that there's a bunch of different types of monies out there. And you may not even really think about this day to day. We just take it for granted that all the dollars that we have in our bank account, in our wallet as cash, in fracks as a dollar peg stable coin that all of these all of these are always redeemable and exchangeable for one but we never really think about it we just take for granted that electronic cash works the same way as the dollar bills in my pocket so in this episode we're going to dive into a taxonomy of money and a taxonomy is is a system for classification for any given system right so it's classification system for any given system in our case, we're going to examine all the different types of money and then ask the question at the end, what makes one type of money better than another? All right, so let's take a look at the different types of money. And we're going to focus on eight key attributes that every single type of money ever made in existence has. Now, depending where you are and who you're transacting with and what kind of institution or person you may be, all the money that you're going to use is going to be different. Now, I think the first thing that you should understand is that the money that's in your bank is not the same as that's in your wallet. And it's definitely not the same kind of money that's in your crypto wallet, say as USDC or Frax or anything else. All these monies are different. And we just take it for granted that they're just always exchangeable back to a dollar. You know, it, it's like what gives the USDC on Ethereum network, the ability to maintain its $1 peg. Well, if you go back to Circle, you should be able to take your USDC, exchange it back into dollars at Circle. But what guarantees does Circle have that they're going to be able to make that exchange? Well, Circle's holding a treasury of assets, in this case, uh, short-term notes, which are uh, debt instruments issued by the government, and they also have cash as well, too. So that cash is issued by the government and has the guarantee of the government that it's going to work. And so all those different things that I just named, the T-bills, the, the, the notes, the cash sitting in a bank account, 
they all function as different types of money, right? Even though they sit in different little nested areas of the world and they provide different legal guarantees uh, to people that are issued. So this taxonomy of money is going to help us break down all the different characteristics of money so we can properly talk about it and understand its risks. Now, I'm going to be drawing heavily from a 2017 Bank of International Settlements paper, which analyzed this taxonomy and published four key properties, right? Now, these four key properties that money can have are dualistic, right? They're either or. So if you're uh, one type of money, you cannot be the other type of money. And this helps us build a, a set, a classification system of all the different types of money. So let's go through these four key dualistic properties that money can have for a total of eight characteristics, right? So four key dualistic properties, eight total characteristics that money can have. All right, so the first one is that money can either be electronic or physical. This is pretty simple on the outset. Uh, money for thousands of years was like physical items. It was seashells, it was gold, it was silver, other commodities that, that could easily be shaped or carried and that were difficult to reproduce. Now, we don't really use this money anymore. With the advent of electronic money, like almost 90 plus percent, maybe 95 or even more percent of money is, is digital today. And that's for good reason. And that's, it's, it's really hard actually to, to carry around physical money. It's really hard. You know, they, there's this question that I heard one time that they like ask in one of those uh, consulting interviews for like McKinsey or something like that. Like, what would you rather have? Uh, would you rather have a hundred thousand dollars now as cash? Like that I send to you as USDC or let's just make it 250,000. Would you rather have uh, $250,000 in USDC delivered to you now, or would you rather have a million dollars worth of pennies? Now, I, not, I may not be actually valuing this right in the moment, which is okay, but <laughs> if you think about it, if I gave you a million dollars worth of pennies, well, I, first of all, where are you going to keep them all, right? It's really expensive to, to house that much currency in one place. You know, you're going to have to take all those pennies. You're going to have to put them in a secure warehouse that has guards. You're going to have to get a, a bunch of trucks that are made for carrying currency, which are very expensive, to haul this type of money around. And then you're going to have to show up to the bank or a bank or somewhere in the United States that takes these pennies that you have, this like smallest denominated unit, and then is able to process it in large amounts and then give you back some digital dollars. So if you think about it, like the cost, it may cost you several hundred thousand dollars just to take all those pennies and and figure out something to do with them. And so just for the sake of ease and speed and, you know, you getting out of here and going to do whatever you want with your cash, it probably is just easier for you to take the digital payment. And this is the reason that we use digital payments today. It's just it's super expensive to use physical cash. I mean, I remember last year or a couple of years ago, they moved about $4 billion worth of gold from, I believe it was about like back to Germany, right? Or from like England to Germany, they're doing this transfer. They had to make sure like both militaries were involved. There's like some cargo plane plus fighter jets, all to move $4 billion worth of gold. And I'm sure the collateral of gold as an asset is great. 
it works really well. But once you get up into size, you got to store it somewhere. And if you want to transfer it somewhere, it's really expensive. So just to wrap up, the first dualistic characteristic of money is that it can be the either electronic or physical. That's a really easy one to, to, to get. Now let's move on to the second characteristic, set of characteristics. And, and that is that money can either be privately issued or it can be issued by a central bank. Now, the money that we use in our bank accounts, that uh, we keep as cash in our, our wallets, uh, this is all central bank issued money. Most money in the world today that we see is, is, is created by a central bank. And this just allows for a single issuer within a nation state uh, to be able to issue the money that's used inside the country and also control it as well, too. So the central bank can pull a bunch of levers like interest rates or the amount of money that's uh, needed for different things like uh, bank collateral. They have a bunch of different tools that allow them to hopefully, in their minds, uh, control money, control the velocity of money and also control the value of that money relative to other currencies. But sometimes money is created privately. And you may not think about this, but there actually a lot of money is created privately. You just don't, you don't really think about it. So let me give you a really easy example. Uh, when you go to say, I don't know, like Roblox, right? And you swap your, let's say Roblox has like a dollar inside their economy inside their game, right? And you swap your US dollars for Roblox dollars, which now allow you to buy stuff within the game. Well, those Roblox dollars are a form of money, right? They're, they're a dollar-based, privately issued uh, electronic instrument that you can use within the game. Now, you may not be able to use it anywhere else, but you can use it in the game and it's pegged to a dollar. So in this case, that, that money that you have, that money that sits in the game, acts as a dollar, it's, it's privately issued. It's not issued by a central bank. There is no, uh, you know, J-PAL at the top of Roblox when they're issuing these, these Roblox US dollars uh, that's saying, oh, you need to issue more currency or de-issue more currency. No, they just, it's a swap that's, that's created when people swap their dollars from one to the other. And so there's a lot of different places that create money. If you think about like gift cards, uh, gift cards are a form of money, right? When when Amazon creates like collects all this money and then swaps it out as gift cards, that technically could be a form of money, right? Because it's it's redeemable for goods like cash. So it's a money-like instrument. So it's not cash itself, but it's like money-like. So you can redeem these gift cards. And if you look at the, the balance sheet of Amazon, they're going to have a ton of cash on their balance sheet. Uh, while these gift cards are still being held. Uh, it's just the way it works. So there's a ton of different ways that money can be issued. But we mostly just see, we mostly just think about central bank money type of money. But that's not the case. Privately issued money is a really powerful way to, to have money that exists within an economy. And on crypto networks, almost all dollars are privately issued. So uh, Circle is a, is a private company. Tether is a private company. And so they collect uh, high-quality collateral in the form of cash and, and uh, other assets, but then they issue that uh, digital dollar on a crypto network somewhere. And this is kind of the big thing that was solved with, with crypto networks is how do we get cash on the system? How do we have an asset that we can move back and forth between 
uh, say Bitcoin or Ethereum, and then back to cash. And then we have the next evolution, which would be to move to a, a DAO issued cash where there, where there is no entity per se, just a smart contract on a network somewhere. And that's what we have with Frax, uh, which is pretty cool. Maybe it's the third type, but I'm just going to lump it in there with privately issued because, you know, the DAO is private. It's not controlled by a central bank. All right. So that is the second one. The, the third pair of characteristics is that money can either be peer-to-peer or it can be centrally controlled. Now, another way of saying this is that money can act as a token or it can be based in an account. Now, when I say token, I'm essentially saying like uh, just a, a thing that exists, right? Like a, a piece of paper, which is cash, that's a token or a, a a digital dollar on a crypto network. That's also a token. They're, they're, they're things that exist, right? It's not just a, a, a number that's in a ledger somewhere. Uh, they're an actual either physical or electronic based token, uh, which then you can pass back and forth in a peer-to-peer method with other entities. On the other hand, you can also have money which is account-based. And this is this is all done through like a big centralized ledger. So if you take your money and you go to the bank, you give your cash to the bank, you put your paycheck into the bank, the bank isn't giving you back cash, right? All they're saying is that, hey, we have your deposit on our books. So your deposit's in our books. And now we're issuing you back a debt. We owe you a debt, so at some point in the future, you can come back and you can take your money out of the bank. Now, what this means is that the bank has this collateral asset, this cash that's been added to them as deposits, but the bank operates in a way where they can take your money that you've given them and then lend it out uh, to actually run the business of being a bank. So they lend it out, they make some interest on it, and then when you want to take your cash back, you go to the bank, you file a, a request, and then they give you your money back. It's no longer a debt, and you get back token-based cash. And that's cool. I mean, the 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 thing about account-based centralized uh, money is that it's really grown to be the core driver of the economy. Uh, banks use it. Companies use it. Like when you send your money to Cash App, right, even though it's a, a privately controlled entity, uh, and they're taking your cash and swapping it to a, a debt instrument that they owe you. Um, you know, it's still super easy to use. It allows for you to quickly transfer money back and forth between different people within within that uh, environment, within that system. But if you don't want that, if you want to have like a token-based system where you can swap it between whomever you want. So if I have a dollar, I can go out and I can give that dollar to anybody I want, right? Nobody's going to stop me from giving 10 bucks to a random person on the street. But my bank, because it's centralized or Cash App or Venmo or whatever, might say, oh, hey, this looks weird. Uh, we're implementing risk controls and we don't think that you should be able to make this transfer. I, I mean, that's a level of control that some people don't want. And that's why they like token-based money. I mean, that's one of the appeals of this crypto money that we have is that I can send it to whomever I want, whenever I want, and and then have legal consequences in the future, right? So it, let me just take for an example this recent Tornado Cash situation where the U.S. government came out and said that Tornado Cash smart contracts are now on an OFAC list uh, and it's impossible to transact with them. Well, if if I send my cash, I can still send money. I can take my 
uh, Tether and my uh, Ethereum and send it to Tornado Cash, there's nobody to stop that transaction from happening. It's not a centrally controlled account. I'm sending money in a peer-to-peer -peer manner with a token. Uh, it's pseudo-anonymous, right? And it, it cannot be stopped, right? If I have 20 bucks in my pocket, it's the same as having $20 of either USDC or Tether or Frax on a crypto network. Uh, but for me to give it to somebody else instead of just handing it over in a face-to-face -face transaction, I need a, an address to be able to send that money to. So the, the cool thing about token-based money is that it just works really well. I mean, I, I think that we're all here in crypto land because token-based money seems to be the best type of money out there. Uh, it just feels like you're in a new paradigm, if you want to call it. And it just didn't exist beforehand. I mean, they're, they're really, if you think about it, before Ethereum came along and we had DAI and Tether, there wasn't really a way to have token-based electronic dollars because the government did everything possible to ensure that that all the dollars stayed within their tiny little system or if they were privately issued that they were issued under the regulatory watch of the u.s government itself and other companies uh, had tried this before where they issued these token based or like a, a a privately issued digital dollar that's outside the scope and regulatory uh, rules of the United States, but they were shut down pretty quickly. Um, so with crypto networks, you have the ability to engage in this, I don't know, regulatory arbitrage where, you know, you can stay pseudo-anonymous, you can hold this cash, uh, and you can send it anywhere in the world. And then it's, you know, for some analysts somewhere to figure out what's going on later on. Well, let's talk about positives and negatives. So Positives for token-based money is that you can send it whenever you want. It's peer-to-peer. -peer. Uh, but the downside is, is that if you get hacked, somebody breaks in or like steals your wallet and you've got a thousand bucks in there, nobody's going to help to get it back. I mean, there's really nothing that can be done, like unless you know the person like who stole your money. Uh, if you just leave cash somewhere, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a bearer instrument pretty much. <laughs> People are just going to pick it up and go spend it somewhere else. So... This, this account-based money that exists in your bank actually has really good consumer protections where if someone hacks your account or if you know, there's some, something malicious that happens to the bank, uh, you can go and typically through the agreement that you've signed with them, uh, you can usually get your money back. I mean, the bank will, will either insure that account that you have or they'll do their, their own uh, investigation and return the money to you. I mean, you rarely hear of people getting like hacked out of their Chase account for tens of thousands of dollars and not getting it back if if they weren't responsible in the first place, right? And so, you know, both of these have their benefits. It's just, you know, when you're in different situations, you might want token-based money. When you're in another situation, you might want account-based money. So that's the third one. The fourth characteristic or pair of characteristics is that let's talk about this. I, so I, I have this written down as universally accessible or limited access. Now, the way to think about this is more not, not in like either limited or universal. It's more about like, is this something that exists within 
a closed system or is it something that's accessible to all? So like universally accessible is pretty easy to understand. Like if you have cash or USDC or Frax or anything, these are all types of money that you can go and you can use them pretty much anywhere, right? Like I can trade it with somebody else. Uh, it's usually freely sendable within that network. Um, like if I have cash, I can give to anybody. I can use it at any uh, retailer. If I have Frax, I can go to pretty much any uh, crypto DeFi project and use it there. Uh, when I talk about limited access, this is more about an internal system of dollars within an institution or set of institutions or within a business, uh, which is used as money, right? But, but isn't used by the wider populace. And the easiest way to understand this is that, you know, we, we have the central bank and that we have these group of, of banks that sit right underneath it, right? So you have these commercial banks and also primary dealer banks like Goldman Sachs and, um, like Goldman and who else, uh, JP Morgan and really the biggest banks that are on Wall Street, right? So when they transact with each other, these institutional commercial banks, they're not using the same money that we use, the, the, the plebs. We, we don't use that money. They have their own internal system of, of dollars and money that they exchange with themselves. And this is for a reason, is that they've created a, a, an inter-institutional, intra-institutional system in which, you know, JP Morgan has really good channels that are designed to exchange value with, say, Goldman Sachs uh, and the Central Bank of the United States, where they can just send all this money back and forth you know, millions of times a day for billions of dollars. Uh, and it's all of this like commercial money, wholesale money is what they call it within this one system. So as a, as a normal person, I never have access to wholesale money. It's just not within my, my rights or my purview as a, as a regular person. Uh, but these big banks do. So those wrap up the four pairs of characteristics and let, let's just review them again. Right? So, First one is electronic and physical. The second one is money can either be issued by a central bank or can be privately issued. Uh, the third one is, is that money can either be token-based or it can be account-based, either peer-to-peer -peer or centrally controlled. And the fourth one is that money can either be universally accessible, universally used, or it can be, uh, its access can be limited to with a, a certain subset of people or institutions. Um, oh, just to return to the limited access one, I want to give you another uh, example. Uh, previously, they in these like small mining towns, they would issue chits, which were like uh, money that could only be issued or used in one place, or like that Roblox thing, right? That's a limited access environment where that money only exists there, and it's it's non-transferable to other parts of the world, right? So. Uh, if you have these chits or you have your Roblox dollars, there's no way to get it out. You can only use it within that, that system and uh, for good reason, right? The developers or the uh, company wanted you only to spend money uh, within their small little segment uh, so they wouldn't actually have to give you cash or figure out how to integrate cash within their system. Okay, so those are the four pairs of characteristics. Now... What what makes one better than the other? Like why why like well there is no there is no real answer. It's more about what situation do I have where I would want to use say cash versus wholesale commercial bank money, and I mean it should be pretty clear, right? If you're 
walking down the street and you want to go into a store and you want to pay with whatever's in your wallet, I mean, you could either use uh, cash, which is physically central bank, central bank issued, token-based, universally acceptable or accessible money, right? But if you're, say, a bank like Goldman Sachs and you need to make a transfer of $100 billion to JP Morgan, well, now you're going to be using electronic, central bank-issued, uh, centrally controlled, account-based uh, money that has limited access between a subset of institutions. So there's a bunch of different variations out there, right? You take those four pairs of, of characteristics, those four pairs of properties, and you can make a bunch of different variants, right? So Bit let's just take Bitcoin. Bitcoin is an electronic, privately issued, peer-to-peer, universally acceptable, accessible type of money. Same thing for Ethereum. Uh, same thing for uh, USDC as well, too. Um, it was a real innovation to have this type of money, which was both peer-to-peer -peer and electronic. That's, that's the real kicker about what Bitcoin did, where they created a token-based money, which was electronic and privately issued, and also universally accept accessible, where like anybody could use it. You didn't like the the big game changer was that instead of having this like limited access server, where you know only approved parties could join and and have access to this peer-to-peer -peer privately issued money, uh, now the advent of blockchains allowed for universally accessible peer-to-peer -peer privately issued money. And that was the huge step. I mean, that's that's something that really shouldn't be discounted uh, about all of this crypto stuff. But because before, there was, there was so much emphasis on uh, all money being account-based, centrally controlled, and governments really pushing to end peer-to-peer token-based money because they don't really want you to use cash. They don't want you to use USDC. They don't want you to use these token-based forms of money because it was just hard for them to uh, identify where the funds were going and uh, to know exactly what was happening with all the cash. And so they just don't like it. So they're trying to switch everybody over to this like, uh, you know, account-based digital money where it's all traceable. And uh, if they need to freeze your account, they can just do it and be done with it for the day. So all these different variants, right? The BIS name this taxonomy the money flower and you should go and google it because it's really helpful to like see all of the different pairs together in all the different forms because it's at the end of the day like all of this different types of money is just trying to achieve one thing right uh redeemable at par on demand and some of it does better than others so your private money is always going to have more risk at being uh, redeemed than the central bank issued money. Central bank issued money all is, is almost always guaranteed to be redeemable at par on demand. But your private money may not have those guarantees. And so like these guarantees to these money claims, right, which is what we talked about in the last one, are the, the most important things when it comes to money. So we as users on crypto networks, we have to be really cognizant about what it means about the type of money we're using and about, again, how that leads into how we can have a money claim for whatever value that we're using, which is, in this case, dollar. Uh, because we're using electronic, privately issued, peer-to-peer-based, token-based uh, money, we have to know how it's guaranteed. 
we have to know where it's exchangeable for a different type of money. Like if I want to swap my electronic privately issued token-based money for centrally account-based money, I would have to go to an exchange like Coinbase and then swap it out, do a one-to-one transfer, and then I could take my USDC and swap it for dollars. Um, and so understanding these risks, right, especially in the context of something like Frax, where if you have Frax and you want to exchange back, you got to know what you're exchanging it for. Are you getting USDC back? Are you getting back uh, a, a like a security? Can you get back some shares? Probably in the future. Um, are you getting back some ETH? Are you getting back some BTC? And then, you know, moving it around to different parts of the world is all going to have different implications. So how we keep our money, whether it's as those four characteristics, those four pairs of characteristics, we should really understand what the risks are, how that money is being used, and why we would want to have that money in the first place as those as a, a set of one of those uh, four pairs or those four pairs. And that's what I want you to think about. So now that you understand this taxonomy, go out, take a look at your different apps and try to understand the differences between all the different types of cash you use. And maybe think about like, oh, what would happen if like Venmo were to fail? Like what, what would happen to my cash? Or uh, what if I had money in Celsius or Voyager or any of the other lending protocols which went bust over the past six months? Like, it, it, is the money that I put in there, is that my money? Or is it somebody else's money, an account-based money that's issuing me debt? So once you understand these risks, it will help you to make better judgments about money in all forms of life. And that's what we're here to help with. So I'm Samuel McCullough. This has been the second episode of Money Moves. I just want to say again, Come to the Substack Flywheel Pod output. Uh, we're going to be moving websites soon. Uh, there's going to be a link in the description here. Uh, come sign up. We're going to send a ton of good information to you. And I'll have, uh, actually, I'll, I'll drop the BIS thing in the Substack for this. So come. Uh, I'll be putting some pictures there up about this whole money flower thing. And we're going to talk next time more about money. Money moves next week. I'm Sam McKella. Have a good day. Peace.